0: I'm Mark Beattie, Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Disease and Childhood. I'd like to start with an article on foster care and whether it can ever be justified for weight management. So, a really important question. So, we all agree that children should only be separated from their parents if it's in the best interests of the child. In this issue, Williams and colleagues report the impact of placing a 12-year-old with long-standing intractable obesity into foster care. It's a complex case with complex issues, and it's clear that very many other strategies were tried first. It took time for the foster carer to impact on his behaviour with an initial period of weight gain, The longer-term impact was profound, with the child's BMI falling from 45.6 to 35 over 18 months. In this article, the authors discuss the detail and they discuss other cases from their unit. It's a very interesting read. Child obesity is often only one of many concerns during safeguarding procedures. The authors conclude that removal of a child from an obesogenic environment should be considered if there is failure of the parents or carers to address the obesity as a major cause for concern and that all other avenues have been explored. The next article I'd like to cover concerns reflective practice. So reflection is an essential part of medical practice and all good doctors reflect on their practice as part of their ongoing professional development. In the new era of revalidation, we have to provide evidence for it as part of the annual appraisal process. The challenge, much discussed, is just how to do that. In this issue, Deborah Murdoch Eaton and John Sanders discuss the educational theory underpinning reflection, the importance of reflection for enhancing performance, and consider how to enhance its value within current paediatric practice. The concepts discussed are useful and practical, including consideration of reflection as a reflective, active and deliberate thinking process that requires the relationship between the present and previous experiences to be linked together. Effective reflection has the potential to change practice by striving to generate insight to facilitate change. The stages of generativity being reflection, introspection, critique and personal voice. So, this is a heavy article with lots of educational theory in it, but practical and useful to the clinician. The authors discuss current approaches to reflection for professional development, meaningful professional development from reflection, including dialectic reasoning, that's the practice of arriving at a conclusion by the exchange of logical arguments, and give an example of a useful reflective log template for single, identified and cumulative events. Key features of productive reflection are listed, and certainly effective reflection requires specific skills. This article helps to rationalise the thinking behind the increasing emphasis on it. And in an accompanying editorial, Henrik Steinbrecher discusses Proving That I Am Improving giving his perspective as an appraisal lead for a large organisation. The third article, which I'd like to cover, relates to factors associated with early neonatal attendance to the paediatric emergency department. The provision of -of out-of-hours services for acute medical care has received considerable coverage over the last few years, with an increase in attendances to emergency departments. So newborn infants are a particularly vulnerable group, with modern postnatal care promoting early discharge of term infants. In this issue, Flanagan and colleagues report factors associated with early neonatal, that's term babies less than two weeks, weeks—reattendance to the emergency department at the Royal Belfast Hospital for Sick Children. So there were 223 attendances, that's 208 babies, over a six-month period, 62% out of hours. Common presentations included feeding difficulty, vomiting and faltering growth. 24 were admitted, 34 of those for less than 24 hours. And significant risk factors for attendance were low birth weight, social deprivation and a postnatal stay of greater than four-tier towers. It's a large cohort of babies. Most are seen and discharged after assessment or within 24 hours. The authors rightly conclude that this data should inform better models of care, including out-of-hours, for this vulnerable patient group. As someone who's done paediatrics for more than 25 years, there seems to me an increasing and constant demand to keep up to date, embracing new ideas, treatments and technologies which enhance your practice. So reflecting on how to best keep up to date with advances in genetics is just one of many challenges. And there is no doubt that next generation sequencing is one of those key developments which is set to transform clinical diagnostics in every branch of medicine. In this issue, Schneckenberg explains the basic concepts, giving examples of its role in clinically applied research, where it's already been instrumental in identifying hundreds of novel genetic syndromes, and examines the challenges of its introduction into clinical practice. The technology is explained with discussion of different sequencing strategies, including targeted, whole exome, and whole genome. The clinical potential including discoveries, diagnostics and ethics are explored in detail. Treat the article as an important update. It's free to access on the journal website. Next Generation Sequencing offers us the potential to profoundly alter diagnostics and investigation of the genomic contribution to human disease. Although there are many challenges involved in it, although there are many challenges involved in the effective, ethical and cost-effective introduction into routine clinical practice. The final article I'd like to consider relates to inhaled corticosteroids and children's growth. So this is an important issue to patients, parents and clinicians. It's an issue that has been much debated over many, many years. In a leading article in this issue, Andrew Bush summarises the current evidence, including data from the Children's Asthma Management Programme in the USA. In summary, in children treated with 400 micrograms of budesonide long term, that's four to six years, there was a deficit in final adult height of 1.2 centimetres compared to placebo, with the impact on height velocity principally in the first two years of treatment. It is an interesting data set. Andrew Bush discusses the data set in detail. This article is free to access via the journal website. The issues that arise include that children may have received a higher dose of inhaled steroids than needed and received it long term and delivery was via a dry powder device rather than a metered dose inhaler and spacer. Andrew Bush discusses the need to reflect on the data set, the need for awareness of the impact of inhaled corticosteroids on children's growth, the need to increase treatment during exacerbations, the need for regular treatment reviews and the potential impact of asthma per se on growth. The need for the best treatment of this common and potentially serious disease is emphasised. I'd like to finish by highlighting two articles from foetal and neonatal this month. The first relates to glucose monitoring in neonates. Neonatal hyperglycemia, we know, can lead to devastating consequences and constant, accurate and safe glucose monitoring is crucial. In a comprehensive review, Wu and colleagues discuss currently available monitoring options and described new methodologies for non-invasive glucose monitoring in newborns. In the second article, Hawkins and colleague examined compliance with the Baby-Friendly Hospital Initiative and its impact on breastfeeding rates in Maine, USA. It's a very interesting read. The initiative does impact on breastfeeding rates, although compliance with the initiative needs to improve, and there remains much to be done to promote and maintain increased breastfeeding rates. Before I go, I'd also like to draw your attention to another new social media outlet from the Archives. We've recently started a Twitter journal club. This runs on a monthly basis and discusses an article of relevance to child health. The articles are made open access in the run-up to the journal club. Log on to the website for further details. I'm Mark Beattie, Editor-in-Chief of Archives... I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. The articles are all available on the journal website.